Chris Dolan is a screenwriter, a novelist, a radio presenter, a fiddle player of note. <laughs> and uh, he lives in Glasgow in the west of Scotland. And uh, me and Chris worked together, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, yeah, it's seen that long, but my goodness. It does. It seems very distant. But, but then I, I was thinking, you know, last week seems very distant. So does yesterday, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember, I remember working with you just so, uh, so fondly, and you know, going down to London and recording interviews about the importance of the sense of smell to our ideas of ourselves and the world. And um, here we are reconnecting in 2020 on the 30th of March to talk about. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what. Um, <laughs> well, one. One connection there, Dominic, is, uh, by the way, great to hear you again, um, but one of the things that the connection there is, interestingly, apparently one of the ways you can tell you might have the infection, the virus, is because you lose your sense of smell. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, so that, that had already reminded me of our programme. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're in Glasgow. How are things in Glasgow? I suppose the other way the world over just so so strange i mean it's kind of an odd mix of things being kind of almost normal but clearly just not so i mean i now work from an upstairs uh, bedroom i'm looking at my window now there's a train i can see over to the train line there is a train so the trains are still there but i know that if i was nearer there would be nobody on that train virtually nobody the odd doctor or supermarket worker or whatever you know the roads are almost empty but not quite and there's still dog walkers out there's just this strange atmosphere everywhere. Um, so yeah, that's it's it's very very weird. Um, and like yourself and everybody, I presume I, I moved from, you know, almost having kind of a holiday feel to being really really scared. Uh, and not just about the virus immediately, but what this whole thing means for all of us. So it's just weird, isn't it? I think we're all emotionally up and down all over the place. Well, it's interesting that you talk about being being scared because i think today i had a real struggle of a day today with um with our two kids um and um it, it was half them and half me you know and, and yeah. i realized that today was probably the first day where i actually suddenly started feeling afraid about the prospect of six months of social isolation yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, so many things we find. I'm, I'm scared of that too. I mean, the, the first week's going to be all right, you know, but uh, that's a very, very short amount, and what is likely to be an awful lot longer. And talk of the kids. For me, well, our big thing is our, our our son is a is a doctor, junior doctor, just out of university last year or two years ago now, uh, working in Manchester, and he is on the front line, and they don't have the equipment. You know, so I mean, just. Every moment is full of foreboding. You know, you just think, God, this man. It's it's like being at home. Somebody said to me recently, "This is our world war, and this is this. You know, the, the world is going to change in such fundamental ways, in the way that only world wars change them." And in that sense, too, it feels like you're a stay-at-home parent. And your son's a soldier, um, and it's it's just terrifying. So yeah, there's so many different ways within a family, within the house, and then in the broader world. It's yeah, it's, it's a scary thing, you know. What just for anybody who's who's not familiar with Glasgow, can you give me a, um, a sort of portrait of Glasgow as it as it typically has been for you up to this point? 
I, I once wrote in a, in a poem, I wrote uh, Glasgow, uh, a city uh, where it's not hard to, to love and hate at the same time, or the loving and hating amount to more or less the same thing. <laughs> um, it's weird. I've just I've just written a book, uh, Dominic, about uh, about my obsession with Spain. You know, I've lived off and on in Spain, and I, was, I still work in Spain a lot. And I go there a lot, and I've just cycled. Last year, this time last year, this year I've walked in my house. Last year I was cycling across the back roads of Spain. Um, and one of the things I've read writing this book that I've been talking about Spain is I never finally left Glasgow, and it wasn't because Spain wasn't a strong enough pool, it's because, uh, or or crucial as it were, it's because Glasgow was too strong a pool. I, I love this city. I mean, it, it kind of frightens me. It's a hard city. It's a big industrial city, smaller than it used to be, um, or the, the, the northern kind of edge of Europe. Um, we have some of the worst drug problems um, anywhere in Europe. Um, we have one of the lowest life expectancies uh, amongst uh, working people. Uh, the middle class uh, Life expense is higher, but not as high as middle class people, even in comparable cities like Liverpool or Manchester. Yet, yet, it is full of parks. Um, from my house, I can be in the Lomond Hills within 15 minutes. On a bike, I can be there in 20 minutes. Um, I love the city. It's got beautiful architecture, both Victorian and Edwardian. And it's a cliche, I know, but the people are genuinely funny genuinely talkative, genuinely helpful. Um, so, yeah, I love the city. And it's, and it's a city which, you know, I, I've always felt has got a kind of one of the reasons I like Spain. It's got a kind of a European feel to it. People like to be out in the streets, even though the weather's terrible. People <laughs> still, like to, they still like to chat. We still like to, you know, you know well, you lived here for a long time. It's, it's got that feel of a, kind of a communal city. And therefore, it's a hard city. Because most cities would feel the same. To be in lockdown, you know, it just feels unnatural. Um, yeah, I can, I could imagine that. Like, there was um, as I was thinking about talking to you, one of the stories that uh, came back to me was the story you told about one of the first times you came back from. I think you were in Cadiz, uh -huh. and you came yeah. back and you were wearing a hat. <laughs> absolutely, there's Glasgow for you. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I bought a trilby. Which kind of now is all right. You see guys in trilbies. By then, oh, my God. I mean, people were just outraged, absolutely outraged. Um, but they were really funny, too. I remember getting on a bus going. I was right to a residence at the time in Easter House. And Easter House is a big working-class scheme uh, project uh, in the east of the city. Uh, and I was getting on the bus. And I got on the bus. The driver on the bus said, sorry, Humphrey, this bus doesn't go to Casablanca. <laughs> I go, the entire bus fell about laughing. Yeah. <laughs> the other, the other, it's a very past remarkable city. People love to you know, just be cheeky to you for, for the sake of it. But around about the same time, a bit earlier actually, uh, I remember cycling along Dumbarton Road against a big, uh, big uh, thoroughfare through a working class area of Glasgow. Um, and, I, and I was, and I was, I was really, it was, it was winter time and, and, and evening, and I was really well lit up. You know, so the lights on my bike and lights on my hat. I felt very safe. And I'm going along, and two guys popped out of a pub. As William McIlvaney says in the ladle at one point, the pub burped. <laughs> two guys <laughs> popped out. And as they popped out, I'm just passing them, and I just think, oh, no, here we go. And right enough, one of them says, uh, look, Billy, it's, it's, uh, it's a Starship Enterprise. And the other guy goes, well, well, John, says, it's transport, but no, as we know it. <laughs> 
So I just thought with that kind of thing about, you know, Glaswegians just feel as if they can talk to you, you know, and, and talk at you and, and slag you off. Uh, so what's the nature of the lockdown where you are right now? Well, it's, there's uh, one thing that's really uh, kind of coming home to me, and it seems so obvious, but it's funny how these things bring home truth to you. I have, you know, done okay. I've been lucky, you know. I've got a house in the west end of the city. We've got a tiny garden, but it's a garden. Um, we've got a you know, house over, I can see over to the, the Campsie Hills uh, from uh, upstairs window. Uh, there are trees outside the front and outside the back. But for an awful lot of people, you know, so actually the lockdown for us, you know, it's not great, but it's fine. You know, I can get, we can breathe fresh air and step out into the garden. But I can look over as well to flats in the north of the city, you know, high rise flats in Glasgow where, you know, uh, unemployment is rife for social problems and, you know, chaotic lives and all of that. And to be locked down in a high rise flat, no access to balconies, no access to gardens, it's, it's a... It's very different depending where you live um, in Glasgow. For me, it's kind of okay, and I have to keep reminding myself um, that you know I'm actually lucky here. But for an awful lot of people in a city like Glasgow, which is a big, poor industrial city, life must be hell. The lockdown it really must be incredibly difficult. You get kids, and your kids are younger. You get young kids, and you are literally locked in. I mean, my God, it must be hellish. Um, so yeah, I think I think the experience, Dominic, is obviously completely different from place to place, and uh, you know, uh, and it's all it's bringing home to us because of course nothing's new there, you know. Those flats were always there, poverty was always there, lack of uh, of employment and opportunity were always there. It's just going to come into really sharp focus in the lockdown. Um, that seems that seems to be kind of universally true. That occurred to me here as well that the that the people who are going to be most adversely affected are going to the people be the people who are the least privileged and who have the least resources, not just financially, but in 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 all different kinds of ways, you know, and least Absolutely. access to least access to resources, you know. Exactly, exactly. So um, you know. You were joking earlier, and it's, it's nice. I can, you know, pick up the fiddle and play a tune and the violin. I can try and learn this. All those kind of classic. I'm amazed at how how much I realise how middle class I've become um, because I can kind of do these things, you know. Uh, and that's got a lot to do with um, opportunity and self confidence and all those kind of things. Uh, you know, I would never particularly thought of myself as being a guy who's particularly lucky or particularly self confident. But actually, when you compare. In, in extremist situations like this, then yes, I do think, you know, I've, I've got lots of different things I can do and a lot of them are class-based. Uh, and it's a, an awful lot more difficult if you're just trying to scrape a living and try and get your family through. You know, learning a new tune in the fiddle, you know, it's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, you know, beyond uh, uh, possibility. So yeah, yeah. So when, when you talk about being scared, what are you scared about? Yes, that kind of, uh, which, you know, which, which, uh, how, how far do you want to go with this? You know, I mean, immediately our own families, will any of us get it? Will I get it? You know, that thing about, you know, my son is now uh, he's in, in Manchester and they're just opening up these kind of camp hospitals. They're like First World War, you know, with like hundreds of beds in them as people just essentially dying. Um, so you're, you're terrified of being one of those people or somebody you know being one of those people. Um, 
so there's all the stuff about the virus itself. But beyond that, you know, we, we went for our little within 2K walk this morning, uh, very early, uh, my wife and I. And uh, the rubbish isn't being collected as much. And you think, well, are we looking at more rats? You know, um, there's a lot of people in the shops who put up extra protection and signs saying there's no cash in the register. You know, is is law and order going to kind of you know uh, uh, collapse sooner than we think? You just be aware of the membrane of kind of civic society isn't that deep, isn't that thick, you know, and it does. It's, it's not taking much to pierce it. So I, I kind of worry about that. That you know, the the the, the whole thing that keeps us moving is just going to kind of deteriorate before we can get back to any kind of normality. Yeah. Uh, is the food going to eventually run out? Um, all those things that we all worry about. Um, and then what that does to us as a community and as a, as a society. It, it's, um, it's, been, it's been striking to me too that um, there is this, uh, out of necessity, there is this granting of vast amounts of special powers to police yeah. and to government and to the state. And I am somewhat petrified in my in my darker moments at how difficult it may be to wrest some of those powers back you know what i mean yeah, absolutely right you know i mean it, that weird thing is that you know was one that i would never thought a day would come when i would be relieved and because you know i've been this kind of it's not just i mean no other people involved and in, as we all do somewhere in the front line or the nurses or whatever that you know the the, the 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 social distancing or physical distancing had to happen, and um, so I never thought I'd be relieved when a right wing Tory government decided to have a lockdown and walk us all into our own houses. <laughs> so Parliament says scientifically that seems to be the way forward. But you're absolutely right. I do not trust any of these people in so many countries. I do not trust them for one minute not to see the benefits to them and their own power base and their own class. It's a fantastic uh, opportunity for any authoritarian fucker <laughs> anywhere. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And honestly, I do think that, and right now in the age of authoritarian fuckers, you know, I mean, that's exactly where we are, isn't it? But we know that the right wing of Boris for all this kind of, you know, rubbing and rustling his hair and all that stuff. We know that Cummings and people, Jacob Rees Moggs and all that, that that's a group of people who would love to close us down. Um, um, and you look at, you know, across Europe, um, so yeah. many right wing leaders on the rise that this seems to me like a, a very, very unfortunate confluence of events. Uh, that even though they can, their wildest dreams are now come directly into play in their hands. And you're dead right, it really worries me that. Uh, it's, it's going to be hard to get out of police states. Mm -hmm. How has Scotland differed from the rest of the UK in terms of both implementing um, implementing these measures, but also just the, the messaging around what's going on? I, mean, I, need, to, I, I need to stay in my case. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely not a nationalist, but I am pro-independence. Uh, I'm not a member of the SNP and could never join a party that's got the word national in it. Uh, but I actually think that Nicola Sturgeon is a very good leader. So that that immediately puts me in a certain type of, you know, uh, there'll be lots of people out there who just, I don't quite understand it, but don't like her and don't like what, uh, the whole independence movement. Um, and I, th I think that there's not, no, I think, you know, Britain has got more or less the same problems and probably they're more or less the same as Italy, France, Spain, America, Canada. Um, 
But there have been slight small differences, I think. I think, to be honest, that uh, Sturgeon has been better at communicating than, uh, than, than Boris Johnson. I think she's been there just before him more often than not. She has both a, a kind of a, a more reliably stern uh, manner about her, but still somehow more comforting. Made the very fact she's a woman. Um, there's something just slightly more comfortable about her. Boris's approach seems to be kind of almost still one to do the kind of the, the humorous journalist thing, and it doesn't work for a lot of, a lot of people. I'm told, but I wouldn't be able to. I'm not a journalist. I wouldn't be able to absolutely stand by these things. But I'm told that there there are more uh, personal protective equipment for. Uh, uh, frontline staff um, in Scotland and elsewhere that the NHS is dealing with it slightly better. I wouldn't completely not really defend those, but, but I, I kind of get the impression that it's, it's handling at least as well, if not slightly better. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller country, so in that sense it's easier. Um, we have far fewer cases, but that's because we get far fewer, which isn't necessarily a good thing about Scotland, we get far fewer kind of portals to the outside world. So, you know, London's an epicenter because people are flying in there London non-stop and then Manchester and places like that. So we get, we get much less than the 10% than you would expect of both cases and deaths. But it's partly because uh, we, we are a bit provincial, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it feels to me that, uh, that, yeah, whether there's a huge difference or not, I can't really tell. I'm still very much in contact with you know, my English family and friends yeah. and uh, publishers and everything else in England, and it seems to me that we're, we're kind of experiencing it roughly the same way. Just the smallness of Scotland probably uh, has helped us feel a bit more community uh, and has allowed us to move the thing on a bit faster. Mm-hmm. What What's your sense of... Um, I, I, I find it hard to get around the fact that um, Boris Johnson has managed to with the help of the the media in the UK, has managed to pull off the trick of having people call him by his first name, as if he's this avuncular, tousle-haired, good-natured um, joker. You know what I mean? <laughs> Does my absolute head. And, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of it too, because it's definitely a few keep going, but Boris, you end up saying it. And I remember the beginning, before he actually became Prime Minister, of the whole Brexit time and everything else, I remember all over Facebook and Twitter, and please stop calling him Boris. <laughs> Uh, why are we calling him Boris? Uh, call him Johnson. But it's weird, you know, that the press have thrown this at us for ages. He's been very successful at doing that. Yeah, uh, no one ever called Theresa May Theresa, did they? You know, no, they? absolutely not. No. Uh, Cuddly Although, Theresa. to be honest, in Scotland, it is Nicola. I imagine, Aye. unless you're a you know, auntie. Uh, I mean, I had to actually make myself say Sturgeon there, because I do refer to her consistently all the time as Nicola. In fact, quite often it's me, Nicky. And people know exactly who you're talking about. You know? right. Did you hear what said last night? And we all know who that is. Uh, so I said she's pulled it off too. Uh, though I think she's not actually tried to do it. That's the interesting thing. And like, I've never seen Nicholas Sturgeon attempt to do that. Whereas Boris Johnson has been absolutely his shtick from the very, very beginning. Um, I mean, I think he plays, I do I have to say, I think he plays a kind of a weirdly clever, a bit like Trump. In the early days of Trump, I thought, Trump was just a madman and thick, and then realised he is a madman. Um, but actually, he's got a kind of a, a kind of a, a sly intelligence, um, which I, kind of, I hadn't quite expected. And I suspect it's true of, of Johnson as well. So when he said, "Is it just yesterday?" He said uh, that we're all pulling together, and it just shows you that there is such a thing as society. And you think that's fucking clever, yeah? Because of course it was Thatcher who said there's yeah. no society. Yeah. And she was a right-wing leader, so he, he's quite clever at, so therefore, you know, knocking down the Red Wall in the north of England, imagine, unbelievably, 
to bring in working class uh, voters mm-hmm. from all over the north of England. He's done something. I mean, it's partly, I think, the failure of the left. I mean, Jesus, how long have we got Dominic? I mean, I think the left has been such a failure for fifty years. Well, I'll need, a, uh, need to get another. I'll need to get another ten gig on my on my computer to, for that <laughs> <Exactly>. conversation. <laughs> exactly. So, to some extent, I think all these right wing leaders in every country uh, have somehow, have just actually kind of benefited from the, the lack of vision, leadership, and commitment from the left, um, and uh, and and inter thing uh, arguing. So in some ways it's about the fear of the left rather than the success of the right. But there's no doubt he has managed to do something which yeah. appalls me. Uh, but, you know, uh, it, it is very scary. Yeah. 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 But are really dangerous people. I mean, that guy coming really, really turned my blood cold. I mean, I think he's, I think he's, that, he's, he's, he's emotionally illiterate. He's a man with neither heart nor vision. Uh, and I think that's true of uh, me small, but a whole number of Ian Duncan Smith. I mean, really heartless people. You know? And people who you know, are are absolutely ideologically committed to to right wing society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scary. Um, how are you keeping yourself then um, occupied? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm busier than ever. I don't know if you are as well, Tommy. I'm doing so much. First of all, uh, the, the, my, my university course goes on. I'm just doing it all online, so I'm having to learn how you do that. So that's a whole new thing about you know, classes and tutorials and all these new things. We're all learning how to zoom and Aye. Google out and uh, collaborate and Skype and all this stuff. So I'm doing all that. I'm still working. I'm doing a series of uh, little plays for uh, just putting them out in the net, basically, uh, with David Heyman. Um, I'm, I'm now dealing with the, the edits of my, my new book. Um, I'm trying to put a song on the, on the net every now and then. My, my partner and I uh, put a song out every now and then. So I'm doing loads of things. I'm in some ways, I say the weird thing is, in some ways, for a writer, this is brilliant. <laughs> I quite like it, you know. I mean, in some ways, not much has changed. I don't go into the university for classes, and I miss that. Mm-hmm. But you know, in this wee room here, making stuff up and writing stuff and things, well, that's, that's what I've always done, you know. And I, and I seem to have lots of opportunity to do it. So, um, in some ways, I'm, I'm fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You don't find that, don't you? You don't find you've got more time to do those kind of projects. I mean, you're probably a different situation from me. I've got my kids have left the, the, the you know, left and all that, so I've, I don't really have very many domestic commitments. Me and Moira just struggle, you know, along together. Yeah, I've, so it's it's. I, I guess the so my situation is that um, at the moment the kids are off school and are likely to be for whoever knows how long. So I'm I'm not able to do anything during the day but i have just started doing these interviews trying to do one every night if i can um i don't know what happened to me but some point at some point last week i just felt like a fire was under me which very rarely happens <laughs> <laughs> and um and i did it and i've been i've been wrestling every day with the inner voice that tells me this is not worthwhile. Why are you even doing this? It's a waste of time. Nobody's ever going to listen to it. all that stuff. You know, there's kind of, yep. um, but I've been throttling it mercilessly <laughs> every day. I'm not giving right. into it. So, so here we are. So I, in, in a sense, I've been, um, I've, I've never felt better about really plunging into doing this. And, um, I also have another podcast, which I do with a friend, um, where we interview musicians, 
about Irish music and about playing Irish music and connecting with Irish music. And that has also been a, a brilliant experience over the last year to be doing that. Um, oh, and that's, same, same I'll listen into that. That sounds great. Oh, there's a Trail. few absolute crackers that you would, I'm sure you would love, you know. Oh, I love that. Um, so, so that's so that's what I've been doing. But um, I don't know if you heard that there. Actually, just uh, nothing I really noticed. And I may always always have been true, Dominic. I've just never noticed in this uh, room of mine. But about every five minutes, an ambulance siren outside my window. Now, well, that's always been the case. I've only really tuned into it in the last couple of weeks because of coronavirus. I don't know, but it's weird. So people are, you know, you're chatting, I'm chatting, I feel fine, and I hear the siren go past, and that happens all the time. Uh-huh. And but that's not like that's not like it's a rule. You know, it's going to be a five-minute wake-up call. Just, just you begin to think, ah, I'm thinking of something else now. I'm quite happy. You get a sign. Going. So yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's it's strange times. I mean, I suppose the other thing to say is I don't know if you feel it as well, but you know, uh, there are kind of boons, aren't there? There are there are some things. Uh, you know, I'm the same as so many people have said this, and it's such a cliche, but it's just so true. In the last two weeks, I have got to know the neighbours in my street much better than I have in the previous 15 years I've lived here. Right. I mean, I mean you know, we've, we've got no, I mean, but not physically, that's a weird thing. You know, I, mean, I know who they all are, but we're in a WhatsApp group, and if they going to the shops, and they check with everybody, if one of the kids is going to go out and do something, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We hear about them, we hear about their jobs, I found them more about their lives than I ever knew before. So those kind of community things. And then small things, or not small things, but interesting things like, you know, um, um, the a lot of prisoners are going to be let out of jail earlier because you know it's, it's going to be hard to keep them in there and anybody either come towards the end of their time and it's a kind of a kind of feels if there's amongst the better hearted amongst us though we're terrified of what the, the right wing might do amongst the better hearted of us there's a kind of an air i feel of a kind of a forgiveness and that kind of we are really all this in this together regardless of class regardless of where you go this we are all capable of either infecting each other and or curing or helping each other and there's something which is quite interesting with all of that um, so, so maybe there are in amongst all the terrors there are things in there which are which are you know gives a little bit of hope yeah hey chris it's so lovely to talk to you ah great hearing you again dominic we can't let's not leave another 15 years <laughs> let's not let's try in a couple of weeks time and see how you're going <laughs> I'm absolutely up for that, but I'll tell you what, neither of us are going anywhere. So. Uh, no, true story, and it, 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 we're about two weeks behind you, so uh, three weeks behind, I think, so we're just getting into the more bitey end of things. Uh, yeah. the, Have you seen, there's a great article in The Guardian last week, uh, this weekend, a woman uh, from Italy saying, uh, this is your future. I did read that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Even, I thought actually it wasn't quite, because I thought it was like a week too late, because actually our future was now... You know, we're doing all these things now. It's a strange thing that there is a strange thing about the um, the the fact that this is a sort of global experience, and uh, and yet the impact is 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 at such an individual level. Like it's it's so yeah. intimate, and yet it's so oh. massive. You know. Absolutely. It's, and just before you came on, I was on with uh, to WhatsApping friends in Spain. So again, I've got to know people in the street better. But equally, I've now got to know the small details of the ordinary lives of people I've known for years in Spain. But I never knew, I didn't know they did this, that, and next thing, or whatever. Um, or found out what their, their spouses or their partners did. 
So yeah, that is a weird thing about it. it's kind of one to ones as well. So you, everybody's experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. You said it better. It's a, although it's global, it's still somehow deeply individual. Yeah. Well, I hope we can talk again. Soon. I'm up for that any time at all. Don't make that be brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Look after yourself. Same to you now, mate. Okay. See you soon now. Cheers. Bye.